The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to Name Three Songs. I'm Sarah Fagan. And I'm Jenna Million. And this is a podcast where we take the piss and debunk music fan stereotypes. Because let's be honest, fangirls knew about that band way before you did. And if you stick around long enough, we'll let you in on some new music the girls are already crazy about. So Sarah, what are we talking about today? I'm so excited for today's episode. And I I can't wait. I hope that I can um, brainwash some of our followers to um, be as obsessed with this as I am. Because today we're talking about the iconic 2001 blockbuster smash hit film, Josie and the Pussycats, which is actually a flop. But... Uh, <laughs> A blockbuster in Sarah's mind. Um, yeah, it's a, I mean, it, at this point, it's a cult classic, and I would dare to say that um, it's radicalized at least a few um, females in the music industry that I'm aware of, according to Twitter.com. So I think, I think it's okay to call it a blockbuster smash hit if it's radicalizing teen girls. Well, not even teen girls, small children, <laughs> small children. I was like nine, nine years old. Um, my mom was like, oh, this is an Archie comics movie. It's rated PG-13 so that they can say fuck once. Like, this will be a cute movie to take my kids to on, like, a Sunday afternoon. I don't know about that. (laughs) But obviously, like, when you're a child, things sort of go over your head. But by the end of that movie, I looked at my mother and I was like, I want drum lessons so I can be like Melody and I can be like Travis Barger from Blink-182. And then a week later, I started taking drum lessons. (laughs) beautiful the movie has been affecting me my whole entire life um but for those of you who don't know Josie and the Pussycats are um a fake band from the Archie Comics universe not Riverdale like the, <laughs> like the 1960s like Sunday cartoon strip Archie Comics um the band is made up of Josie Melody and Val and they're three best friends from Riverdale <laughs> and this film is like a very early aughts glitter like fest of a mess that's like kind of a black comedy satire take on the music industry so this has been like a very important movie to me since the age of nine and i have been begging jenna to watch this film for a while and i finally got her to do it and now we're going to talk about it as like a good excuse and theme to talk about a lot of the topics that are covered (laughs) in this beautiful film. So Jenna, would you like to tell people what your thoughts on this masterpiece were? Yeah. Number one, I didn't know about this movie before Sarah brought it up when we started doing this podcast. And I'm going to say that I really avoided watching it for a while because of the title and the, in general, poster it's very okay Josie and the Pussycats I just like feel like it's a super annoying name but like I was familiar with it because of Riverdale (laughs) and Sarah had to let me know Riverdale did not invent Josie and the Pussycats which like I knew there was I knew it was other places I just didn't know where it was from um and then number two the fashion in this It was 2001, Jenna. Yeah, it's very like <laughs> Ashley Tisdale on the like teen Nick pink runway carpet and like her low cut jeans and like glittery top and like all of that stuff. She reminds me of that like glitter pink and like flip phones and like, yeah, the fashion is really funny in it, but it's it's very obviously a cult classic. It's one of those movies. It's like, it's so bad. It's good, which is I think <laughs> why it works for us to be talking about this. I love that the boy band in there is named DuJour is like, of course they, of course that's their name. Um, and it's very cheesy. Like the dudes in the band is very NSYNC-esque. Oh yeah. Um, and I don't know. I think it's, it, it was an interesting satire. I think we're, I think we should just dive into it because I know there's like so much to unpack in different parts. So I think we should just go for it. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) I just feel like, so basically, um, rather than this just being like a film review, 
we're just gonna we're gonna talk more about like the underlying topics that the film touches on by like utilizing the film as like the poster child of these things I'm basically trying to make you guys all go watch this <laughs> um, so that maybe you'll just like go watch it and then come back and then like the people who made Josie and the Pussycats will be like wow everybody's watching this movie <laughs> we well, should talk it, about it come back I just I want my um pandemic quarantine reunion basically that's what I'm trying to do (laughs) so I feel like first and foremost it's really important to note that while this movie was kind of a box office flop the soundtrack went gold so the soundtrack was sung by Kay Hanley who is the lead singer of this group called Letters to Cleo basically like the record the soundtrack was like an original soundtrack for this film so there's not a single song performed in Josie and the Pussycats that was not written specifically for Josie and the Pussycats and like a lot of the people that were writers on this album were like heavy hitters including um Adam Schlesinger from who is from Fountains of Wayne who also wrote a lot for like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and like he's like created a lot of like really famous like pop songs and so yeah so even though the movie did like terribly the record did really well and it did so well that in 2017 they remastered it and reissued it on vinyl because people were like we want this (laughs) wow as most people know like vinyl has like gotten a lot bigger over like the past kind of like 10 years i want to say again like people have been collecting it and stuff and i just think it's so funny that like this movie that has kind of been like was critically panned has like a score of like 48 percent on rotten tomato had such like had such a soundtrack that it just kind of changed the discourse around the film in a lot of ways and I mean personally and like we've already talked about this in like our music like our first ever music meltdown episode like the Josie and the Pussycat soundtrack is consistently (laughs) in like my top 10 albums on Spotify so I have a problem about this movie Basically, like, why I wanted to bring this to the table and make Jenna watch this and hopefully get a few listeners to watch this is because it is just, like, a very tongue-in-cheek takedown of the music industry. And I think that in, obviously, like, in 2001, like, I was a small child. I don't really know that much. But, like, the climate of the music industry was, like, changing vastly around that time. And, like... That was when Total Request Live was, like, a really big thing on MTV. So, like, Carson Daly was, like, on every kid's TV the second they got home from school. And for those listening who don't know what Total Request Live is, like, it was basically this TV show that would be on, I think, at, like, 3.30 in the afternoon. And it was hosted by Carson Daly and... They would have like a top 10 video countdown and they would have like musicians on. They would have like live performances sometimes and they would also like interview like actors and actresses and all that sort of stuff and then you could like call in and request a music video and you would get to like and sometimes you could even like send videos in being like hey Carson like it's Sarah from Long Island like and I'm requesting like Fall Out Boy Sugar We're Going Down and then they would like play Sugar We're Going Down like on the screen and that sort of thing and there was like this big thing in New York that like you there would be like this barricade out in Times Square that like teens and like kids would stand outside with like signs to try and get like their favorite person's attention like when they were on TRL and the last year that TRL happened All Time Low was on it and that was the first time I was ever old enough to go wait outside TRL with a sign (laughs) I love that story so much it's really embarrassing go look at our show notes I'll put some photos of me being an embarrassing teen in them But yeah, so it was like that sort of world where like music was taking a new turn because of like the accessibility to like television and like kind of the start of the internet, really. Yeah, this is so true. So I was just looking up like Backstreet Boys and NSYNC or like Backstreet Boys started in 1993, NSYNC started in 1995. They were like huge then up until 2000s. Um, And Britney Spears was also getting her start. So I think it's really interesting to put that in the context of like what, like who was popular then, because it's like uh, these boy bands were like having their heyday and we're going into this like super pop oriented world. I feel like when I think about 2000s, it's very much like centered on pop music and what the conversation is there. And it's really interesting, like with Josie and the Pussycats and I think we've mentioned like this was kind of like ahead of its time because it was like calling this out and nobody was like really on board with it yet and now it's like so obvious but I feel like in 2000s like they were really like like 
90s going into 2000s they were like trying to manufacture pop stars and so this is like the commentary on that yeah no a hundred percent and I feel like that's the thing where it's like this is one of those movies that I kind of watch like once a year just like I'm sad I'll just put on Josie because I know it's gonna give me like I'm gonna have a fun time but like as I've gotten older it's like every single time and I feel like it's more eye-opening because you're sort of going through that like storytelling thing of like basically like you start the movie with like Josie and Pussycats like performing at a bowling alley people making fun of them because like they're never going to be famous like whatever and then you see this boy band du jour on like a a private jet and they're like talking about a new record and one of the guys is like hey Wyatt who's like the manager who's played by Alan Cummings and it's like I was listening to the soundtrack and it sounds like there's something like weird going on in the background of the music and he is just like oh like we'll have to get that checked out and then he goes to the cockpit and is like code bread or like something and then him and the pilot put on parachutes and just jump out the plane <laughs> and so it's essentially no he he's he goes like code um buddy holly because like buddy holly died in a kind of plane crash oh. um <laughs> yeah, he, i remember him saying some like interesting music reference for that yeah and so that that's what that was <laughs> like making fun of the fact that like there was a whole thing of like people just dying in plane crashes like Aaliyah, who was at like the height of her career died in a plane crash now i who knows conspiracy theory o'clock so they have that happen and then he is like winds up like in on the outskirts of riverdale and he has a phone call and he's like yeah they've been taken care of and he's like don't worry i'll find a new band it's no problem and he's like i'll be back in new york in 48 hours with a new band and then you see the scene of like josie and them like busking and getting told like get off our property whatever and then they run out in the street and a like a truck comes or something and wyatt sees them like with their instruments holds up like an empty like cd case and is like get in our car, (laughs) like get in the car. Do you want a record deal? And it's just like a sort of play off of like pop, the pull, like pop culture, pop music, like being manufactured in a lab sort of thing because like they are going like, he doesn't know anything about them. And then they're in like a burger joint and he's like, here's like your recording contract. And I think Melody's like, don't you want to hear us play? And he's like, oh, like, I thought you guys were a serious band. Why don't you want to sign this contract? And they're like, okay, we'll just sign it. Like, whatever. No problem. And so I just think that's really funny and, and interesting, Jenna, that you brought it up about, um, like, all the music that was, like, kind of popular at that time and, like, really big. Because, I mean, like, in 2000, like, Backstreet Boys Millennium came out. And I think that that was really like pivotal in like their careers and also I think that was when No Strings Attached came out and all that sort of music and so it was like all of this like big pop music coming out and it's like it was very obvious and even like spoken about that they were like created in a boot camp sort of thing and so then having this film come out that people didn't really like or didn't really get and them sort of joking about like oh it doesn't really matter if we know you're good or not we can fix that And I just think that, like, that discourse and, like, being so, like, jokey about it, especially when it's, like, happening, like, it's not like they did Josie and the Pussycats in 2010 as, like, a Black comedy response to, like, boy bands and girl bands and, like, all of that stuff that was coming out in that era. Because, like, when we were kids, I mean, there were so many groups that, like, nobody seems to really talk about these days, like, Play and No Secrets and Dream and, like, 3LW and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, 18s. Like, yeah, and, like, Jump 5, like, all that sort of stuff, and it's, like, and it's, like, those sort of groups were just being created in a lab, getting, like, put out there, like, constantly, and nobody ever really said anything about it, but there's this film that comes out, like, right in the, like, middle of all of it, and it does badly, so I just think that it's a really interesting conversation to have of, like, they were doing something right when it was happening, whereas I feel like nowadays, like, you'll see films that are sort of a conversation on something right like a couple years after it happened and the fact that they did this in the middle of like it doesn't matter if you have talent now we can make you have talent and they sort of just ran with it I think it's really interesting it would be interesting like if this was remade and released now like what would happen well that's a thing and I feel like because there was 
I literally, I spent $4 to have an LA Times subscription to read an article <laughs> about this because I, th- I can't remember what the title of the article was, but like, we'll link it so you guys can read it. But basically it was just kind of talking about how like it was a misunderstood film sort of thing because like at the time it was just like critics just shot on it like all over the place. A thing that we talk about a lot on the show is just like the media controlling the narrative and like the things that are being created not being allowed to control the narrative sort of thing. And with that being said, it's like if the record industry or whoever is kind of like buddy buddy with the media, they can kind of be like, hey, like this film could possibly fuck everything up because like I'm not saying that it like is that powerful but I also think it might be (laughs) I also think it might be I don't know well no that's being ridiculous but basically like and spoiler alert even though this is like a 19 year old film like the main villain of this film is the fact is like this woman Fiona who's like this big record exec and like she's played by Parker Posey and so Alan Cummings character Wyatt is like her like underling basically and of course they made it a female villain but I think that that's kind of awesome (laughs) well it's yeah I mean that we could discuss this in itself because it's like on one hand like women in power are always seen as like bitchy and like controlling things and like in a bad way but on the other hand is it empowering that she was like the record exec and she was kind of like the mastermind behind it well it seemed like this whole thing was her idea and that was a thing where it's like I never even thought about like oh they're putting like the woman against woman sort of thing It just felt like she created basically something that like the FBI were like, we want this technology. (laughs) And she's like, but basically the technology that I was yelling spoiler alert about is that they had, they paid Mr. Movie Phone (laughs) to come and like do subliminal messaging that's like, you want to shop at PacSun. Like McDonald's is better than Burger King. And so I just think that it's like really funny that that is like what the whole thing was, was that like they were paying somebody like subliminal message, like brainwashed teenagers basically who are buying music and that they were putting these like subliminal messages under all the music of their acts. And so that's like what the guy from DuJour heard on the, like on the new single, because I guess it was new technology. I don't really know why it was the first time he heard it, but there's like a scene of like these girls coming into the mall and they're all wearing pink. And then they, a new song comes on, like a new DuJour song comes on and they're like, oh my God, orange is a new pink. We have to buy all orange clothes. <laughs> And it's just like they're so susceptible to like the subliminal messaging because their brains are mush because they're just like teens in like a tiny little town. This is kind of interesting though because I I don't have any discourse to go off of of like what the media was saying in 2000. But when we're reading the Fangirls book by Hannah Ewens, there's a section in there where it talks about how. Uh, like when MCR was really popular, there was like a a girl who basically took her life and she was like a huge MCR fan and they like blamed MCR for her death. And like the media just went and like had a heyday and was basically like emo music is killing our children. It was like this huge thing. And it's like her, her whole thing was like, no emo music (laughs) is saving our lives. But it's interesting of the media just like taking it and spinning it. And I'm, I wonder if there was other discourse being like, pop music is brainwashing the children well that's the thing is like I feel like there I think I brought well I think I might have brought this up but I'm not sure but basically there is like the Backstreet Boys video for like um I think it was like Shape of My Heart or some I can't remember what video it was for what song it was for but basically there was a Backstreet Boys video and it features like this scene where like they're all wearing kind of like sheer white button-up shirts and then it starts raining and I think that they classified this as softcore porn. Like, <laughs> and I don't know if that's like an actual factor, if that was just something that they said in like an I Love the 90s, like VH1 special. But somebody said it and that's stuck in my brain forever. So that's now a fact that I believe. Because um, it, it kind of looks like it. Because <laughs> they're like writhing in like these sheer white shirts in the rain. And it's like literally since that video, I equate like a, sec- a man in rain as sexy. So it worked. But yeah, so I feel like they're like, obviously, like we were too young. So we don't know really like what they were talking about in the media back then. But like in like in that scenario it's like these music videos it's like Britney Spears like dressed up like a like schoolgirl in the um hit me baby one more time video and those sort of things so it's kind of 
they are while it's not like subliminal messaging to like get somebody to like buy something they're kind of like this is what's sexy this is like what's not and like they're kind of putting like a sexy front in front of like impressionable young kids because like before that the music that was popular was kind of more like bands and like solo artists that weren't like what pop music is today you know like pop music of what it is today sort of didn't really exist as much until like the boy band era I mean like obviously there's like Madonna and that sort of thing but like that was like a new wave of music And I feel like in that sort of like late 80s, early 90s, like era of things, it really took off. So yeah, I think that there's always been, at least since like people could go home from school and watch music videos on TV, there's always been that like, we're going to utilize this in like a new and different way. And so I think it's just really interesting, like the way that like Josie and the Pussycats had the conversation was being like, oh, like we're hiring Mr. Movie Phone. (laughs) <laughs> and he's gonna tell you to shop at PacSun whereas before that it was like less obvious but it was still happening of like oh like this is what's hot this is what's not hot and that sort of thing because it's like what you're being fed and so it's just like those like crop tops and like that's those sort of outfits that like Christina and Brittany were wearing in their music videos or like Backstreet Boys and sing like dancing in the rain or like whatever it is yeah it's kind of like using music as the conduit to for marketing because um like in to your point sex sells and like a lot of the artists Britney Spears too like it was like sexy music and um then using them as like oh and they wear this brand or like they have this sponsorship and stuff like that of being like oh if you want to be if you want to be with NSYNC or like you want to be like Britney like you'll buy this too that's what the marketing part comes in yeah, because Britney did, like, Skechers ads, and then there were, like, um, Got Milk, like, ads with all of them, those sort of things, so it was, like, you would, like, back then, like, you would see, like, your favorite musician, like, wearing those sort of, like, sorts yeah. of things and, like, doing ads for them, but also, like, in a juxtaposition to that, it's, like, it was, like, subliminal, mar- it's, like, when you watch a TV show and there's, like, a clear Coke can in the TV show sort of thing, and it's, like, it's subliminal marketing, Whereas, like, nowadays, they don't have, like, it's with social media and especially with Instagram, like, subliminal marketing isn't even allowed. Like, you can't have something in something without Instagram being, like, you have to label this an ad. Like, no matter how, like, coy you're trying to be about a sponsorship, like, you have to be upfront about it and be like oh like this is sponsored this is an ad like I've been paid to do this like whatever the case is and so I just think it's really interesting because how we were saying before like if they did like Josie and the Pussycats today like how would it even work because like we're not trying to hide it anymore whereas in this the whole point is is that there would be no turmoil there would be no drama if they weren't having something like bad that they're hiding yeah I think the the LA Times article you sent me they compared it to that movie Idiocracy of like this is the idiocracy of the music industry where it mm-hmm. was all just like marketing advertising everywhere like trying to get your attention and I yeah. think it's, it's actually interesting because I think that movie came out around the same time and it's like you like you said 2000s we're having so much more access to tv shows to the internet like pop cultures like becoming a thing that's like really easily accessible to everyone and that's super interesting because it's like that was probably the first time it was like marketing is like more a thing like a thing now like more than ever it's like super apparent like the marketing that's going on like at the time you know it was more apparent now than then than ever and now it's like even another different level so it's interesting like those kind of commentary films came out at that time period and i mean like the whole like the whole drama of like the film is that like they're trying to like pit josie against the rest of the girls because they are like it's easier to like have one person that you're in control of than like a group of people and so they went from being just like called the pussycats to like coming to, to being taken to new york and the first like billboard that gets taken up like gets put up is like Josie in the forefront and it's like Josie and the Pussycats and like there's like this funny line that's like oh but like we're the Pussycats and why it's like well like it like we've been told from marketing that like bands do a lot better when there's an and in the name and they're like but the Beatles are the biggest band in the world and like I can't remember like who he said was like and because I can't even think of any and bands right now because I feel like and bands don't even exist anymore I don't think 
I feel like they did for a like Abish a little. The bottle moon. <laughs> no, but that's not someone's name, you know. Because yeah. I was like, so, I think Selena Gomez tried to do that, or it was like Selena and some it's like Marina Selena. and the Diamonds. Yeah. Okay, there we go. But I'm like trying to think of like what I can't remember who they said those examples in the movie right now. But yeah, I just thought that that was like interesting where they're like, oh, like we need like they need to, and I think that we talked about this with in the Maddie Healy episode of like them like fans needing somebody to like attach themselves to and so it's like in a scenario like this where you change the name to like Josie and the Pussycats it's like they already know that Josie's who they pay attention to and so it's who they attach themselves to and but then also in like the storyline of the film like that makes like Val and Melody like less important and like more of something that like if somebody messes up we can just get rid of them whereas like with a boy band like du jour like you can't do that because it's a boy band and so everybody sort of has like their own thing whereas like a band the person who's singing is the only one that's technically important according to like this yeah like they're more controllable because they're the clear front person yeah, exactly. And I feel like if today that anybody was ever going to try and use somebody to brainwash people, it probably would be Maddie Healy. <laughs> Maddie would not go for that, though. But I think that he wouldn't. I, I just think that he wouldn't realize because his ego is so big. He'd just be like, well, of course they're flocking like sheep. <laughs> Debatable. No, I know. I'm joking. But I'm trying to think like who, like what band there is that could, that like this could happen to. Like genuinely, <laughs> modern day. Yeah, I would need to. I need to like look at a well, list I guess, of bands. I can't. I guess kind of like Fifth Harmony, head. like Camila Cabello, is the only one that's been successful. So it's kind of that thing where I mentioned this before we started recording, but it was like with these artists, like even nowadays, it's like record labels have like multiple artists that sort of have a similar look, a similar vibe and like that sort of thing where it's like you have like different levels of like the boy pop star or whatever the case is where it's like, oh, like Justin Bieber, Shawn Mendes, like, I don't know, Jacob Satorius. Austin Mahone. <laughs> Austin Mahone. That sort of nonsense. Like you have like these like tiers of like these guys who kind of look the same, kind of do the same thing. followed in the footsteps of Jesse McCartney, okay? Oh. Original white boy of Jesse the Jesse McCartney walked so Justin Bieber could run. <laughs> let's be honest. I mean, let's be honest. Aaron Carter walked so that Jesse McCartney could walk so that Justin Bieber could run. Okay, fair, fair. Like, I know that this isn't what they're doing because obviously, like, there needs to be more than one person singing that sort of music. But it's kind of being like, listen, you're disposable. Like, we have, yeah. some, we have like, another option. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. And that's sort of what it seemed like they were doing in the movie of trying to prove the point of like, oh, like we can like crash this plane with this boy band on it. People will be sad for three days. And then like the next big thing's coming up already. And so I just think that that is really interesting of like them being like, you're all sort of disposable. And I think that like in that time frame when there were like all those girl groups that were literally just doing the same thing and probably all had the same like 10 to 15 men writing their songs. Like, that was such a thing back then where it's like, oh, like, Dream's not available? We'll get play. Like, who who's gonna, who knows the difference? Yeah. But I also think that it's really cool in the movie how it sort of went from, like, it, the underlying theme also was just, like, friendship and, like, girl power and, like, how if, like, the like the band sort of sticks together, like, if your friends stick together, like, you're gonna come out on top in the end. 
And I feel like there's always throughout history, like band drama and all this sort of thing, where if like you kind of forget, like fame gets in the way and you forget like the friendship and like the, like, I don't know, just like the cohesiveness that you had at the beginning where you're like, we're in it for the music. And then at some point fame gets in the way and it ruins everything. And they were like kind of trying to like pressure pot that in the film with like them giving Josie a like brainwash CD of them being like, I'm the best person in this band. Without me, Val and Mel would have nothing. And then like they have this thing like at the beginning of the movie where it's like a bus pass with all three of them on it. And they're like, if we ever lose our way, like we'll just have a look at this bus pass from where we came from and like remember how important friendship is. And then- where you belong. <laughs> there's some one direction songs about that yeah literally and yeah and so then she like gets in this really dumb fight with them and then they like storm off and they're like whatever like we'll go back to riverdale whatever the deal is and then the like bus pass of course like falls out of somewhere and she's like reminded of friendship and then she like solves the whole thing and is like oh they're brainwashing teens (laughs) oh no but yeah i don't i just feel like there's so many times and like to sort of veer off from the film and just talk about like not it's not even just like the label kind of causing issues or like the media causing issues by being like oh like this person is a front man like who who is like this I feel like there was like something at some point with Fall Out Boy where it's like why is the bassist the front man and there was like them trying to like do exposés on like Patrick when like Patrick didn't want to be the front man like that was why Pete was a front man because like he want like he was like I'm comfortable being this. Sometimes there's just like all these like societal pressures from like the media and then like from your fans and like it can just kind of ruin things and explode things in your face and then groups disband. There have been like a lot of outside factors that have been the reason why bands stop existing. And so I just feel like the movie ta- be, like trying to pit like Josie against like Mel and Val is like something like is just a way of like having the discourse without being like uh, like uh, outside like outside figures are like at play. I mean I feel like throughout history there's always a thing of like one person in a band getting the ego like when they get famous and like someone has a huge ego and I wouldn't apply 1975 to this situation because I feel like we know them like we think we know them well enough that like it's not there's not like tension between them but there are other bands where like they've had fights and stuff because of fame or because of this or that or the other and so I think it's very you know real that like management sometimes has a play in that if they're like trying to position them one way and it turns into band fights and people break up and stuff like that the ego thing I guess is more of what they're playing on because and I mean another example is like Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones like he was kind of like a polarizing figure of sorts and I've like been listening to just like a lot of podcasts more about like old older like rock people lately and apparently like in like he died he like he drowned in a pool and like his last year of life was just like really horrible and it was like a lot of that like the band started like hating him and it was because he was like using lots of drugs and kind of like the fame went to his head in a way of not so much ego but just like causing a rift and instead of like them all coming together the rest of the band were like you're becoming a problem and so they kind of ostracized him and so like he was still in the band but like he died kind of like alone with knowing his bandmates hated him because of like what getting famous like did to him because it's like there's two sides of the coin which is either like you get really famous and you get a big ego and you are kind of like I'm the star of the show or you get really famous problems like drug problems or alcohol addiction or whatever like that you might have already had get worse because you're like I can't like I don't know how to deal with this fame like my bandmates all have like girlfriends or like I think that like at that point like somebody else in the band was like now in like a very serious relationship with like another woman that like he had been with previously and so he's like oh like not even like my ex-girlfriend like wanted me the most like she wanted like Mick the most or whatever and so it's like all of these like added things of like oh like I'm not the front man I'm not the most important one in the band and you can either let that eat you alive or you can like utilize it like Ross and Adam in the 1975 do where it's like they can kind of be like silent partners in a sense where they get all the 
they get the same money, they get the same fame, but like not in a way that's like detrimental to them. Whereas like with Brian Jones, it was like detrimental to him to the point that it like led to him dying. And so it's like, I just think that it's a really important narrative to like talk about of like what this can do to you when, especially when like, I feel, I feel like people are like, oh, like management and label are supposed to be there for you, but they're not like in the long run. And like, like this movie proves it's like, you're just like a cash grab for them. Like they care to an extent, like people are human, but at the same time, it's like, oh, well, like if this flops, like there's three more in the, in the wings waiting to take over their jobs. Yeah. And when it comes down to it, record labels are there to make money. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like this film like really proved that. And like, it's something that's sort of come out a lot more in the past, like five years ish of things moving more towards like independent labels or people releasing music themselves or whatever the case is, all like the main with 8123 and like the 1975 dirty hit and those sort of things where it's like, well, we weren't happy on a major label. So we're going to trust our fans and sort of rely on them. And so I think that that is just like a really, it's one of those things where if you aren't in the music industry and you're interested in the music industry, like watching a film like Josie and the Pussycats can be enjoyable and like also kind of like eye-opening in a sense. But like if you're in the music industry, it's kind of funny to watch it because you're like, they hit the nail on the head of like a lot of topics. And it's like, just this funny thing that like a movie that's like so bad is amazing <laughs> like flops so poorly just like encapsulates an industry so perfectly to the point where like that might have been why it flopped yeah true so i just as we were having this conversation i was thinking about blackpink because they have a documentary on netflix that just like recently came out so i watched it i watched it two nights in a row actually <laughs> Um, but like K-pop is such a perfect example of this because I feel like in America, when it comes to pop artists, like to a certain degree, it's like young people who are talented, who then get picked up by management and they're kind of skyrocketed on their career. But in K-pop world, it's like you audition for like an entertainment company and they train you for like five to six years and you have to be like good enough to make it. And you could train for six years and not make it as a star. And so the Blackpink doc is like super interesting. They all trained between, I think it was like between four to six years and they like auditioned when they were teenagers. Some of them were like 13 auditioning, like they're so young. And then they debuted in 2016 when they were probably around like 20 years old. Mm -hmm. And they, they talked about, the girls talked about how like sometimes, like sometimes I miss our training days because it was, we were always doing, we were always surrounded by music and it was just like the love of music. And now that we debuted, it was like, they debuted, they went to number one and they immediately started doing TV, radio, tour all this they were like in the limelight they never had that like small like growing pains stage it was just immediately like straight to work and so like that is such an example of this of like literally being made in a lab and this is happening all the time and it's like they're doing this like just to make money like that's what it is it's a money operation that I mean and that's really interesting to bring up because obviously I'm just gonna keep bringing things back to the film because that's the whole point of like what we're doing right now but it's like they literally like said that they're like why are you putting this massive poster in the middle of Times Square? Like nobody even knows us yet. And he was like, I think he literally said, well, if it doesn't work and somebody else's poster um, will be up there the next day anyway. Yeah. And it's just that thing where like, there's a whole montage of them, like doing all these shoots, doing interviews, all of this stuff and like climbing the charts like super quickly. And I think at one point they had like a, multiple songs, like in the like billboard chart that they're showing in this montage thing. And it's like, that's the same thing with like Blackpink and these sort of labs that create these groups where it's like they hone in these skills and then they're like we're gonna put you out there and if you do well then this is your life now you're never gonna see your old life ever again and if you do badly it doesn't matter because there's another group of six sitting in the training lab waiting to be put out into the world and so I just think that it's like it's I feel like it's more prevalent now more than ever because there's shows like X Factor and these sorts of things where like obviously it's not as contained and like obsessive as like the K-pop like training programs but it's like that's kind of like a live science project like watching X Factor with like Little Mix like somebody like that like because they're super super successful in England um I was just thinking actually about like shows like X Factor and like Mm -hmm. where they're auditioning as talent or even like Justin Bieber who's like he got discovered off of like YouTube YouTube, I think yeah 
but it's like clearly that they have talent. I think it's interesting. And this also goes to our five seconds of summer example of like someone who's like clearly, clearly talented as like an artist in whether that's dancing or singing or songwriting. And then like when they get picked up so young and they're like, they, you know, they're at a stage in their life where they're like still learning so much about themselves, about the Mm -hmm. world. And they just like absorb things. And then being like around management who's like always telling them what to do or what to say or what to be or how to look how to dress I think it's interesting because I like with five seconds of summer for example it's like what would have happened to them if they hadn't been picked up by One Direction like what would their music sound like like that's what I want to know like them as artists them as creators like what would they have turned into because it's like clearly like since they had the fame and the money like they're gonna get put with really good songwriters like like they're going to be popular like now management record labels are invested in making them a thing but I always just wonder like how much of that is themselves like how good are they like as how would they have developed on their own as artists well I think that that's the thing also is like something with five seconds of summer like their more recent music is very kind of like it's still poppy but it's very it's more like angry indie like sort of grungy sort of sound to it and I think that the interesting thing is is like I think that they would have never sort of veered more into like this really interesting like artistic route that they've gone on which like I'm not saying that they're doing anything like show-stopping or like world-stopping or whatever but like I think that if they hadn't felt like they needed to prove something they just would have continued to put out like a bubblegum version of like all-time low music and I think that it, they maybe could have gotten on a warp tour but I don't think that they ever would have really truly left Australia if One Direction hadn't found them and I don't think that they ever would have like grown in the way that they have musically because even though I don't agree with like a lot of what they say or a lot of their viewpoints I think that that stupid internalized misogyny kind of pushed them into making their music more interesting because they were like we don't want to be compared to a boy band like we don't want to be making music that people are saying is for girls so then they like probably like put some work in and like actually like try to like do something different that is a good point because I like I hadn't thought of that side of it but it's like so many other artists it's like it's so controlled when they're like on this level and then once they exceed that then they have like more freedom to do what they want I feel like Mm -hmm. and it's just interesting because I was thinking like with the k-pop thing it's like they probably like now like write songs together same thing with One Direction it's like at first it's like they didn't know how to write songs they didn't know how to write music and so at first it's like all people doing it for them and then once they start to learn they they start doing it themselves but I always just think it's interesting like how much freedom do the artists really have like with k-pop because I'm sure like they help like write songs now especially like bts I'm sure they have more a hand like in the the making of the music process yeah but it's just interesting like thinking about like blackpink when they're so young in their careers still like are they just being told what to do all the time like do they have any autonomy whatsoever yeah well i feel like i mean like not to get too deep into like the dark underbelly sort of stuff about k-pop but i mean i think in the past like two years there have been like multiple like k-pop stars who've like died suspiciously meaning like probably no, there, suicide. there's like, been suicides like, yeah i mean like how, just as somebody who like works in media and like has to report on things when they first come out like it's always like oh like there's a suspicious death in the k-pop community and then it turns out to be a suicide there was a k-pop star that died towards the end of 2019 and they had music videos about sort of like their struggle with like depression and like all this stuff and like but they couldn't talk about it and so they had these like i think it was like monsters that were like always in the music videos and it was like after they died like there was this conversation about like what were these monsters really like talking about like that sort of thing because like a lot of their songs were very bubbly like poppy goodness but then they were like the videos were like slightly dark and I think it was kind of like them trying to visually encapsulate like how they were feeling like on the outside compared to the inside and I mean I've like talked to a couple of friends who are like really into k-pop because I've been like we really want to talk about this on the podcast but like we don't know enough and like we don't know where to start because like that's not really the world that we exist in at the moment and they've just been being like if you're going to talk about k-pop you really need to acknowledge like 
like that there's a lot going on there with like you have to weigh a certain like you have to be a certain size like you have to look a certain way like all like they're so stringent on like what the rules are behind what it takes to be like a k-pop star and i think that that's like a lot of like sort of what's joked about and like in like the film is like oh like they need to look a certain way they need to be a certain size they need to do these sort of things it's something that like needs to just be acknowledged more that like this is like a problem that exists like bb rexa has like talked a lot in interviews about how like she thinks that she never got famous because she wasn't like a stereotypical like pop star look even though like i would never even think bb rexa was a plus size person you she know? well she's not she's like a size six eight yeah she, like, there was I think she like went to the Grammys. I think it was maybe the Grammys. She was going to the Grammys and there was some like fashion designer who said, oh, I would never dress BB yeah. Rexa because she's like a six eight. And it was like, first of all, I didn't even ask you to dress me. <laughs> and second of all, I'm a normal size body. Like just because yeah. I'm not a size zero or a size two, like it was, I was just, yeah, that whole thing was ridiculous. That's another thing where it's like comparing like, BB Rexa to somebody like Megan Trainer, who Megan Trainer is like a plus size woman, but she was like every single Megan Trainer song that's ever come out is acknowledging that she's a plus size woman. Whereas BB Rexa was like, I'm just like a straight size, like I'm a normal size person, like mid size, whatever you want to call it. Like, why do my songs have to be about the fact that like I eat food? And I think that is just really interesting. I mean, yeah, think of like Demi Lovato, for example. Like when she was on Disney, she was so thin. Yeah. And I feel like she's always like gone like back in forth with her weight and then uh kelly clarkson too like she used to be very thin also and i think like they finally got to a point in their careers where they were like fuck it like this is who i am like i'm not yeah. gonna be skinny because like you want me to be skinny like i'm just like who i am but it's like for those two examples like they were put in like that box to begin with of like oh you have to be skinny if like you're gonna be popular yeah. and all this stuff and I think especially like with Kelly Clarkson I was always really interested as somebody who like works in media seeing like when she was like off tour she would always gain weight and then like right before like the first couple like first week or two like you could tell that she lost weight but she was still kind of like a bit chubbier than like what's like quote-unquote acceptable and then she'd be like skinny again or like I think that there was like an interview with Charlie XCX where she says that like when she's off the road she has like eats and like treats herself like shit because that's who she is and then like the month before tour she like goes back and like works out because who wants to see like a chubby white girl dancing on stage and so I just I would like, be interested to see that interview I'll, I'll try and find it but I know that she's like talked about that before and so I know that's like kind of not really off topic but I just think that that's I feel really like, interesting well, I feel like we could spend a whole episode talking about like mental health and like body image within the music industry which is like because you could go on forever and I think yeah. like even the fangirls book mentions this but like basically from 2015 forward is like when we started talking about mental health even yeah. though it's been a thing forever it was just always behind closed doors and like artists coming out talking about their mental health which is really important and I think like I feel like just now we're like barely even starting the conversation of body positivity and like inclusivity and the types of bodies that are out there well I mean to tie it all back together in like a neat little bow actually because I just remembered this like at the end of Josie and the Pussycats it turns out that the two villains of the movie who Wyatt and Fiona actually were went to the same high school were both like complete losers like Fiona's character they were bullied. yeah they were bullied like Fiona's character had like a horrible lisp and like um Wyatt was like overweight and albino and so then they, she like, Fiona like takes out her fake teeth and he like lets out his stomach and like wipes off like the makeup that makes him not look albino. And so it's just that thing where it's like, even though they end like by being arrested by the FBI for trying to brainwash teens, like they end being like, oh, I'm okay with myself because like Josie and the Pussycats taught me to be or whatever. Yeah, they, they, made that, they made that flip real quick. It was like a 10 second, like, yeah. oh. Well, I mean, it's I am. Too, like a dumb movie, but like, it's just that sort of thing where it's like they fully turned into villains because they were bullied so badly and like treated so badly because of how they looked. And so I just think it's interesting to like, just the conversation to make everything connect back to itself. They literally covered everything. So perfect movie is perfect. <laughs> conclusion in conclusion it was a blockbuster it was a blockbuster <laughs> smash hit which is available on hbo max so i mean 
HBO has taste. <laughs> I feel like that was a really, <laughs> I feel like that was a really good conversation, actually. I feel we like definitely we explored different avenues and I thought we would. Yeah. No, definitely. Like we definitely, the conversation definitely went a a different route than I thought it was going to, but I think it all, as I said, kind of all tied back kind of perfectly, which is crazy. Just how much like one dumb movie from 2001 covered (laughs) like the grand scheme of things and how it just like relates to like modern day music and what like the climate of how things are right now. I think, yeah, I think we'll definitely be referencing this episode in the future both Josie and the Pussycats and like other conversations we've had because this is just the world of the music industry (laughs) this is it I mean and that's the thing it's like it's multifaceted as we say every single time like we we get like dms and stuff being like this episode was so good did you think about talking about this and it's like that didn't even cross my mind because it's like the iceberg that is the music industry is so big and then every iceberg after that is even bigger and it's like you have to niche down for like these episodes and so talking about something like Josie which has all these different sort of spider webs off of ideas that you can jump into just sort of lines us up for like really good conversations to have in the future I think. I definitely concur. And we're back because we took a few weeks off, but we are back with our band of the week in 30 seconds or less. Today is Sarah's turn, and we're going to give you a countdown in three, two, one. Okay, my band this week is The Academic. They are from Ireland, just like I think my last band of the week was Inhaler, who's also from Ireland. Um, But The Academic are great. I've been listening to them for, I want to say, like three years now. Um, they have some new music out that I actually haven't checked out and I just saw that because I just went on their thing to tell you guys a good song. But my favorite song by them is called Permanent Vacation. They kind of have like Beach Boys vibes, um, meets indie music. And I think you guys should check them out. Yay, you got it in 30 seconds. I know. You just convinced me to check them out because I am not familiar with this band. They're so good. No, they're like very like indie Beach Boys, which is like a weird mix, but I'm really into it. They're really talented. So as usual, if you have any thoughts about what we talked about, if you watch Josie, <laughs> please talk to us about it on Twitter at Name3Songs. Yeah, if you, especially if you watch Josie, please come talk to me personally about how perfect this movie is. Um, if you have any other takes, I don't want to hear them. Um, <laughs> so I'm at Sarah underscore Fagan and then Jenna's at Jenna underscore Million. We hope you enjoyed this week's discussion. Thanks so much for joining us on Name3Songs. Until next time, never let anyone make you feel bad about your favorite band. And remember, you're never too cool to listen to Harry Styles. Don't forget to subscribe to be notified when each episode comes out and leave us a five-star review. It really helps. If you want to find out more about any of the sources we referenced in this episode, you can visit namethreesongs.com. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.